have a very couple of very serious questions to ask. Number one, how many of you are happy you're not at the beach today? Got it, got it. I'm happy I'm not sitting on the beach with that 50 degree temperature. So now I have a real, now I do have a second one. It is a serious question. Question number two. Given that you've had a couple of weeks now, since we looked at the topic of anxiety, which we will continue on that topic this morning, but given we've had a couple of weeks since we looked at Matthew chapter six, I would just like to know how many of you in that two-week period now have can say that I have come to a point where I'm now free from anxiety. Would you please raise your hand? You got one in the front. <laughs> I'm glad. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> yeah, well, I understand. That's uh, that's a trick question. That's not really a serious question either because nobody's ever totally free from anxiety. I mean, God gave us the capacity to be fearful, be anxious. And that's a good thing. Because it keeps us from situations and circumstances that would bring us harm. But then again, we also wrestle with this aspect of anxiety, which is not so good. Anxiety can be a bad habit. I mean... It literally can be labeled a negative thought pattern that just consumes our hearts and minds. And, well, it's it's not so easy to just snap your fingers and be rid of that, especially when you live in a world that every time you turn on the TV or the radio, they tell you that something bad's going to happen to you. The latest storm, the the latest possible catastrophe, or, or what might happen 30 years from now, and, you know. In the past year, we've been well reminded of our vulnerability. Millions of people, literally millions and millions of people worldwide are afflicted with anxiety, many of which are labeled as having anxiety disorders. According to a recent American Psychiatric Association opinion poll, they determined that 41% of Americans say that today in 2021 they are more anxious now than they were a year ago. 49% answered that way in the 18 to 29 age group. They also determined that 43% of Americans report that the pandemic has had a serious impact on their mental health. 54% in the 18 or in the 30 to 44 age group. Then, then add to that that they also determined that 53% of adults who have children under the age of 18 are concerned for the mental state of their children. And a whopping 49% of parents with children under 18 have said that their child has needed professional mental health assistance since the pandemic began. Anxiety itself is a pandemic. 
But we might be tempted to say, well, you know, that, but that's, that's the general population. We're, you know, we, we have our faith in God. We're Christians. We're surely not in those categories. I don't know about that. Don't be too quick to conclude that. We are not exempt from the ravages of uncontrolled anxiety. Maybe we should be, but we're not. We do, as God's people, as God's children, as born-again Christians, have the resources we need to deal with daily anxiety. It doesn't mean that we effectively do it. Our text today speaks of the one essential resource we have that makes all the difference in the world, God. Isaiah wrote in verse 3 of chapter 26, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Let's take a look at that verse just in a preliminary way as we continue to introduce the message. Isaiah 26.3 is a commentary on peace, how we can have peace. How we can have relief from anxiety. Here it is. Now notice as you read it, the word him in the first line is in italics. That means quite simply that the individual here, whoever it might be that we would substitute in here for that personal pronoun, is really not in the original text. In fact, the subject of the sentence is the word mind in the next phrase. So what what Isaiah is saying is this, that God will keep the mind of anyone whose mind is stayed on him in perfect peace. It's a mental reality here. It has to do with our mind. Now, the verb will keep is the Hebrew equivalent to the way we use our modern day present tense verb. The promise here is that God will keep you today and tomorrow and he'll continue keeping you all the time in his perfect peace. And the word peace, well, there's something very interesting about that translation, perfect peace. There is no word perfect in the original. What we find in the Hebrew is this. It says, God will keep the mind of the one that has stayed on him in peace, peace. It repeats the word shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, twice. And thus the translation here, perfect peace, which is a good one. But the repeating of the the word peace is a way of emphasizing it. This is not just momentary peace. This is not just some sort of, you know, good thoughts for a few moments. This is just the perfect, the ultimate, the unfailing promise of God's deep, lasting peace. No matter what the circumstances. 
And so it's available. God's peace is available. Isaiah speaks about it here. By the way, Isaiah 26.3 is written in a millennial context. The verses just preceding that is a, a prophetic rev- revelation by Isaiah of a song that will be sang by God's people on the day that they come into the city of Jerusalem during the millennial reign with Jesus Christ himself seated upon the throne, ruling the kingdom, the millennial kingdom that's been promised. Ruling with a rod of iron. A time period in the future where there will be no war, no conflict, no need for memorial days, because the world will be at perfect peace nationally, nation among nations. So why? Why why would he put verse 3 here after that? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed. What Would that even be necessary? Well, yes, it will be. Now, you and I will be there. But we will have been resurrected or raptured. So we will be immortal. We will be like Christ. We won't have a problem with anxiety on that day. But there's a lot of people that will enter into the millennium that will survive the tribulation period. Mortal individuals will repopulate this earth and they and their descendants will still be dealing with a fallen nature, still be dealing with human weakness. And yes, they will need peace just like we need it today. They will have anxieties to face just like we have today. I'm sure they will not be to the extent maybe that we face anxiety, but what Isaiah prophesies here in regard to those folks yet in the future is applicable to us today. So let's take a look at verse 3. We're going to notice here that it is our mind that is in focus. We have to Get our mind in the game, so to speak, if we're going to overcome anxiety. As a young man, little league and such, I remember those days when the coaches always had to remind the players because they're young and, you know, and, and, uh, easily distracted and you might be looking at somebody on the sidelines or watching a butterfly fly by and the coach would always have to say, get your head in the game. Well, we literally need as Christians that same advice today to get our head in the game, get our mind in the game. Because anxiety is an affliction of our mind. And that's where we need to begin to deal with it. So, the point then that Isaiah is making in this verse, and God is saying this to us, he's saying this, overcoming anxiety requires the right mentality. And then we can notice, as we go on from this, two requirements in Isaiah 26.3 for obtaining the right mentality to overcome anxiety. And the first one is this, you have to have a dedicated mind. 
Overcoming anxiety requires a dedicated mind. And by dedicated, I mean a mind that is submitted to the will of God, determined to follow and live by the word of God. A dedicated mind. So look again at verse 3. You, that is God. Isaiah is talking to God and about God. You will keep permanently, perfectly, Keep us in that peace, peace. Keep our minds peaceful. Whose mind is stayed on you? Now let's begin with the word translated mind in that second phrase. The Hebrew word here, it's not just a word for your brain. It's not just a word for what you're thinking about. But it's a word that references the purpose of your mind, the intent of your mind, the frame of your mind. We talk about framing our thoughts, you know, putting our thoughts together, obtaining a purpose or a plan. That's what he's saying here. He's saying your mind has to be Completely focused on what it is you're doing and what you should be doing and what it is you're thinking and what you should be thinking. What is your frame of mind? Is it dictated by anxiety on a perpetual, habitual basis or at least far too often? Or is your mind where it should be? Are your thoughts formed correctly? Is your thinking right? Does it reflect a steadfast purpose? So we have to have the proper proper frame of mind. But that's literally impossible for us to maintain in and of ourselves. Because we are fallen creatures. We do have a sin nature. We do live in a scary world. I'm not so sure it's any more scary than it's ever been, but we live in one. So, how in that circumstance do we keep the proper frame of mind? Well, what Isaiah says here is that God is the key to that. God, you will keep in perfect peace the mind that is stayed on you. That's referencing a sustained frame of mind. By the way, the word stayed is a passive participle in the Hebrew. That means God is sustaining our minds. We're not sustaining our minds. But our minds are sustained because... God is bringing it about. We literally by ourselves cannot stay our minds, sustain our minds, keep our focus, maintain the right frame of mind. That takes God's power and God's sovereign operation for that to happen. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we're passive in every sense. We have obligations. We're not going to have a sustained mind that comes about because of what God does if we allow our minds to be undisciplined and uncontrolled or focused on the wrong things. But if we engage our will and our purposes and dedicate ourselves to what we should be dedicated to, then God comes into the picture and gives us a stayed or sustained mind. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, I think are directly applicable here. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now the King James says, think on these things. Let that be the frame of your mind, the focus of your mind. The purpose is to look and think about and consider and meditate on these kinds of things. Things that are holy and right and pure and praiseworthy. Then, Then he says this in verse 9. And sometimes when you're preaching or teaching this, you kind of break it off after verse 8 and and, and leave verse 9 to next week. But they're really connected. He says, the things you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Now that's Paul talking to the Philippians. So they literally heard his teaching, his preaching. They saw his example. They, They had his counsel. That's discipleship right there. He says, these things do. Now, one of the things that Paul did was think on the things that he just said in verse 8, which he tells them to do, and which God wants us to do. So, the things that we know should be a part of our frame of mind. That being in place, what happens? And the God of peace will be with you. Yes, we have an obligation. When we determine by our will to have a dedicated mind, God will enable that to happen out of His power and strength because it is He that sustains our mind. The word, by the way, stayed, it simply means to lean on something, to be supported, to be upheld. That's what God does for us. So the first way that we can have the right mentality and thereby have the peace that we need to overcome anxiety, well, that requires a dedicated mind. But secondly, it also requires a dependent mindset. A dependent mindset. Again, looking at verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace. In peace, peace, the mind that is stayed on you, that is sustained by you, Lord. And then he says this, because he trusts in you. There's our part. 
God sustains us. God is the source of a sustained mind. God is the source of peace. God is the answer to anxiety. But before any of that happens, that formation of our will, determination of our will, that begins with dedication, has to include faith. Because he trusts in you. The, 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 the avenue to peace is faith. Trust in God. God is the source. But we are required to put our faith in him. I grew up in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains and Oftentimes, my dad would take my younger brother and I out for a, a walk on the old place, the old farm, which was back in the sticks. Show us where he grew up. Where he'd take us hunting over there once in a while. But a lot of times when we were just hiking around on those mountains, the, <clears throat> the first thing he would do when he got out of the vehicle was he would head to the nearest sapling and he'd, he'd cut three. And he'd make a walking stick for himself, and a walking stick for me, and one for my brother. And we thought it was cool being a kid, you know. Just walking stick and walk through the woods, you know. But it really had a functional purpose. Because if you're going up and down and around on those hills, if it been any rain or wet, traction is hard, easy to slip. But that walking stick made all the difference. I found the same thing true whenever I started trout fishing a number of years ago. You walk into that swift water, you better have a little something once in a while uh, to keep you upright. A good, a good walking stick works there too. Well, our faith is our walking stick. It's not planted into the ground, it's planted firmly into the creator of the ground. Our faith is an active, purposeful decision, moment by moment, day by day, to trust Him, to put our faith in Him. Now, we began our Christian life by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. But you know, God's grace doesn't end with our positional transformation from lost to saved. God's grace is evident in your life as a believer all the days of your life. Pick up the Bible and turn to almost any epistle, any letter that was written that's a part of our New Testament, and especially if it was written by Paul, you'll find there a prayer for two things, grace and peace. I've recently been doing some reading in the book of Philippians, started in chapter 1. He, he, he wishes for them, prays for those p- people in Philippi, that God would grant to them grace and peace. Why did he, why do we find that? Why is that so common? Because anxiety is so common. And God's grace enables us to overcome God's, by the way, the word, when you see the word grace in those contexts, just translate the word help in there, in your mind. 
God's help, God's strength, God's presence, God's power. His grace brings peace. So a dependent mindset requires faith in God. Look at John 14, 1 with me. Very familiar verse. Spoken to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, the upper room, Jesus said to this, he said, let not your heart be troubled. That's a little stronger in the original. He's basically saying, do not be troubled of heart. That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do oftentimes. Well, how do you do it? Here's the reason. Here's the here's the, the methodology. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Well, he was God, God the Son. He's simply saying to them, the God that you believe in is standing before you believe in me. But the methodology to peace in heart versus a troubled heart is belief. It's faith. It's trust in God. Because he trusts in you, said Isaiah. Now, I already referenced the fact that we as Christians have the resources to deal with anxiety, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we effectively use them. Here's some verification of that. In 2020, the Barna organization did one of their surveys or polls, and they determined, and they, 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 asked these, they asked the questions or proposed the questions in this poll or whatever to professing Christians who attended evangelical churches. Now, I, I, I take it that means Bible-believing churches. I think we could substitute that terminology. 53% of Christians who attend Bible-believing churches said they believe that having some type of religious faith is more important than which faith a person aligns with. You know what that says to me? It says 53% of people going to Bible-believing churches don't believe Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That's scary. Because it's not faith that saves you. Faith is the means to the person who saves you. The object of your faith is the absolute crucial point. By grace are you saved through faith. God's grace saves you through your faith. If 53% of the people who attend Bible-believing churches believe that, then their hearts and minds are not stayed on God. He's not sustaining their minds because they're not exercising faith in the right thing. In the realization that God is alone determines our salvation and dispenses His grace. They went further in the survey and determined that 41% of professing Christians 
who attend Bible-believing churches said that if a person is generally good or does good things in their life, they will earn a place in heaven. Oh my goodness! They don't believe Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. They don't believe the Word of God. They don't believe John 3, 16. They have no foundation. They have no hope. If these figures are right, then at least least half of professing Christians are totally at the mercy of anxiety. George Mueller, the well-known English evangelist of years, many years past, who ran several orphanages in England, and never, never asked for a donation, by the way. And yet people gave and the orphans were sustained. Never asked for a donation. She simply prayed about his needs and the needs of the kids. This is what George Mueller said. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Yes. Right. He believes Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Guaranteed. Hudson Taylor was a great pioneer missionary in China many, many years ago before China became communist. Yes, there was a great Christian movement in China before the communists came along. Hudson Taylor said this. He said, let us give up our work our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into the hand of God. Then, when we are given all over to Him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. Yes. Hudson Taylor believed Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And yes, faith. Is the pathway to a mentality that can handle the cares of this world. Trust in the Lord. That's the key. So for us to handle our anxieties, for us to deal with our anxieties, that requires the right mentality. A mind that is dedicated to the purposes and the plans and the will of God and a mind that is dependent through faith on God and God alone. If your faith, if anyone's faith is placed somewhere else other than on God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, it is misplaced faith. It is useless faith. It is faith that will not avail in the times and the troubles of life. If your faith is in some other imagined deity, it is misplaced faith. If your faith is in some other philosophy, it is misplaced faith. If your faith is in the government, it is misplaced Faith, because the government can't handle it. I'm not saying the government shouldn't try to help people, but I'm saying we were dealing with a generation that's becoming dependent 
on the government and they've turned their back on God. But if your faith is in the government, it is misplaced faith. If your faith is in on any human being, any person or persons, it is misplaced faith. Now, we should love one another. We should support one another. We should pray for one another. We should edify one another. We should minister to one another. And we need to do that. And that's a part of God's grace because he works through his people and the body of Christ. But God is the ultimate source of all of that encouragement and help we need and the strength we draw from each other. But if your faith is solely on a person and you don't understand the work and the graces of God in the equation, your faith is a misplaced faith. And if your faith is in yourself to handle all your problems and overcome all your challenges, then you definitely have a misplaced faith. Because we are not able, we're not capable to handle all that we have to deal with. And when we get our eyes off of God and when we get our faith diminished, when we are in that state of mind, we fall apart. So make sure that your faith is squarely in the God, the one God, the real God, the creator God, Jehovah God, the almighty God, the triune God, and you will stand in good stead. Your faith will lead to a sustained mind. You will be in touch with and in sync with the source of peace. Peace, peace, ultimate peace, lasting peace, perfect peace, sustained peace. It will quiet your mind, resolve your fears, and propel you into a life otherwise unimagined. Make sure your trust is in God Almighty not anything else.